Thank you for joining me for Carla Reads the Classics. We've come to a bit of a milestone here with 50 chapters behind us, and I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening. I'm so grateful for your support. If you're listening on Anchor, I welcome your voice messages if you care to leave them. If you're listening perhaps on another platform, uh, Overcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, or one of those, you're welcome to email me at jcarla11 at yahoo.com if ever you're so inclined. If you'd please just indulge me for a second while I say thank you and happy birthday to a friend who's celebrating her own milestone today. Happy 50th Sadet and many, many happy returns. Thank you for encouraging me to begin this podcast. Last but certainly not least, a personal thank you to Marianne, a dear friend who didn't think literature would ever interest her in the least, but she's listening now with gusto and engaging in great conversations about it. So thank you, Marianne, for giving it a try. Now, Of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham, Chapter 51. Two months passed. It seemed to Philip, brooding over these matters, that in true painters, writers, musicians, there was a power which drove them to such complete absorption in their work as to make it inevitable for them to subordinate life to art. Succumbing to an influence they never realized, they were merely dupes of the instinct that possessed them, and life slipped through their fingers unlived. But he had a feeling that life was to be lived rather than portrayed, and he wanted to search out the various experiences of it and wring from each moment all the emotion that it offered. He made up his mind at length to take a certain step and abide by the result, and having made up his mind, he determined to take the step at once. Luckily enough, the next morning was one of Fonet's days, and he resolved to ask him point-blank whether it was worth his while to go on with the study of art. He had never forgotten the master's brutal advice to Fanny Price. It had been sound. Philip could never get Fanny entirely out of his head. The studio seemed strange without her, and now and then the gesture of one of the women working there or the tone of voice would give him a sudden start, reminding him of her. Her presence was more noticeable now she was dead than it had ever been during her life, and he often dreamed of her at night, waking with a cry of terror. It was horrible to think of all the suffering she must have endured. Philip knew that on the days Fonet came to the studio, he lunched at a little restaurant in the Rey Diosa, and he hurried his own meal so that he could go and wait outside till the painter came out. Philip walked up and down the crowded street, and at last saw Monsieur Fonet walking, with bent head, towards him. Philip was very nervous, but he forced himself to go up to him. "'Pardon, Monsieur,' I should like to speak to you for one moment. Bonet gave him a rapid glance, recognized him, but did not smile a greeting. Speak, he said. I've been working here nearly two years now under you. I wanted to ask you to tell me frankly if you think it worthwhile for me to continue. Philip's voice was trembling a little. Bonet walked on without looking up. Philip watched his face, saw no trace of expression upon it. I don't understand. I'm very poor. If I have no talent, I would sooner do something else. Don't you know if you have talent? All my friends know they have talent, but I am aware some of them are mistaken. 
Bonet's bitter mouth outlined the shadow of a smile, and he asked, Do you live near here? Philip told him where his studio was. Bonet turned round. Let us go there. You shall show me your work. Now? cried Philip. Why not? Philip had nothing to say. He walked silently by the master's side. He felt horribly sick. It had never struck him that Fonet would wish to see his things there and then. He meant so that he might have time to prepare himself, to ask him if he would mind coming at some future date, or whether he might bring them to Fonet's studio. He was trembling with anxiety. In his heart, he hoped that Fonet would look at his picture, and that rare smile would come into his face, and he would shake Philip's hand and say, Pasmal, go on, my lad. You have talent, real talent. Philip's heart swelled at the thought. It was such a relief, such a joy. Now he could go on with courage. And what did hardship matter, privation, and disappointment if he arrived at last? He had worked very hard. It would be too cruel if all that industry were futile. And then, with a start, he remembered that he had heard Fanny Price say just that. They arrived at the house, and Philip was seized with fear. If he had dared, he would have asked Fonet to go away. He did not want to know the truth. They went in, and the concierge handed him a letter as they passed. He glanced at the envelope and recognized his uncle's handwriting. Fonet followed him up the stairs. Philip could think of nothing to say. Fonet was mute, and the silence got on his nerves. The professor sat down, and Philip, without a word, placed before him the picture which the salon had rejected. Fonet nodded, but did not speak. Then Philip showed him the two portraits he had made of Ruth Chalice, two or three landscapes which he had painted at Moray, and a number of sketches. "'That's all,' he said presently, with a nervous laugh. Monsieur Fonet rolled himself a cigarette and lit it. "'You have very little private means?' he asked at last. "'Very little,' answered Philip, with a sudden feeling of cold at his heart. "'Not enough to live on. "'There is nothing so degrading as the constant anxiety about one's means of livelihood. "'I have nothing but contempt for the people who despise money.' They are hypocrites or fools. Money is like a sixth sense, without which you cannot make complete use of the other five. Without an adequate income, half the possibilities of life are shut off. The only thing to be careful about is that you do not pay more for a shilling than the shilling you earn. You will hear people say that poverty is the best spur to the artist. They have never felt the iron of it in their flesh. They do not know how mean it makes you. It exposes you to endless humiliation. It cuts your wings. It eats into your soul like a cancer. It is not wealth one asks for, but just enough to preserve one's dignity, to work unhampered, to be generous, frank, and independent. I pity with all my heart the artist, whether he writes or paints, who is entirely dependent for subsistence upon his art. Philip quietly put away the various things which he had shown. I'm afraid that sounds as if you didn't think I had much chance. Monsieur Fonet slightly shrugged his shoulders. You have a certain manual dexterity. With hard work and perseverance, there is no reason why you should not become a careful, not incompetent painter. You would find hundreds who painted worse than you. 
hundreds who painted as well. I see no talent in anything you have shown me. I see industry and intelligence. You will never be anything but mediocre. Philip obliged himself to answer quite steadily. I'm very grateful to you for having taken so much trouble. I can't thank you enough. Monsieur Fonet got up and made as if to go, but he changed his mind and stopping put his hand on Philip's shoulder. But if you were to ask my advice, I should say, take your courage in both hands and try your luck at something else. It sounds very hard, but let me tell you this. I would give all I have in the world if someone had given me that advice when I was your age, and I had taken it. Philip looked up at him with surprise. The master forced his lips into a smile, but his eyes remained grave and sad. It is cruel to discover one's mediocrity only when it's too late. It does not improve the temper. He gave a little laugh as he said the last words and quickly walked out of the room. Philip mechanically took up the letter from his uncle. The sight of his handwriting made him anxious, for it was his aunt who always wrote to him. She had been ill for the last three months, and he had offered to go over to England and see her, but she, fearing it would interfere with his work, had refused. She did not want him to put himself into inconvenience. She said she should wait till August, and then she hoped he would come and stay at the vicarage for two or three weeks. If by chance she grew worse, she would let him know, since he did not wish to die, since she did not wish to die without seeing him again. If his uncle wrote to him, it must be because she was too ill to hold a pen. Philip opened the letter, and it read as follows. My dear Philip, I regret to inform you that your dear aunt departed this life this morning. She died very suddenly, but quite peacefully. The change for the worse was so rapid that we had no time to send for you. She was fully prepared for the end, and entered into rest with the complete assurance of a blessed resurrection, and with resignation to the divine will of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Your aunt would have liked you to be present at the funeral, so I trust you will come as soon as you can. There is naturally a great deal of work thrown upon my shoulders, and I am very much upset. I trust that you will be able to do everything for me. Your affectionate uncle, William Carey. End of chapter 51